So we've been like thinking about things to do with our family when they come back for uh, you know, from for break and holidays and everything. And um, there's some things that I would think about doing, but then there's some things I I would you know be kind of red flags if if I thought like well it'd be great to go out on a sailboat for example, and I said it's you know I call a couple places and say why don't we go on a sailboat and and, and you know, somebody says, sure, we, you know, we can do that. And then uh, I say, well, where do you go? And they go, well, well, we don't really have a plan. We just kind of get out there and, you know, we don't steer. We just let the winds and the currents take us wherever they take us. I'd be like, well, um, what if they take us Right, right back to the shore where there's rocks. Well, you know, it could happen. But, you know, there's a lot of food. We'll have food. Um, we'll have a lot of things to, you know, drink. And, and we have Wi-Fi. So you shouldn't really care about where we're going. We'll just go wherever. Now, I think I would be a pretty irresponsible father if I said, sounds good to me. I mean, if you got on one of these planes and you overheard the pilots talking about, oh, which airport are we supposed to be going to? <sighs> I'm not sure. Let's get up there. We'll figure it out. We'd be, you know, you'd probably try to get off that plane too. But it's funny, like, we, we, we're that way when we think about getting on a boat, getting on a plane. We're not always that way when we think about our lives. You know, there's these um, exercises you might have done in high school. I know uh, my friend used to teach guidance at, at uh, Hawaii Baptist Academy, and he would always have his students do a 10-year plan. Where do you see yourself in 10 years? Um, my wife liked to ask this at our, when we'd have anniversary dinners, like, well, so what do you think the next three years will be, or five years? You know? And sometimes I wouldn't want to have dinner, because I didn't really want to answer that question, right? But they're good questions to ask. They're good things to think about. Because otherwise, we're kind of like that sailboat. We're just going to go wherever life takes us. Wherever the wind or the currents blow, that's where we're going to go. And, you know, as long as we have enough food and water and Wi-Fi, we're good. Yeah. We'll be everywhere we are. That's where we'll end up. And sometimes we think about that with our, even with our spiritual lives. You know, maybe we're not that way in our career, we had a career goal, or maybe in our, you know, outside of church life, but we're sometimes that way about our spiritual lives and about our church. We don't think like church has any direction to it. There's no, really, as long as we have enough food and water and Wi-Fi, church is fine. We'll be whatever we be, and we'll end up wherever we end up. And, you know, we've been going through this 
series of gifts that God gives us. And we're at the last one today. And the last one is this gift of purpose, gift of direction, gift of mission. Because too many times we're like the church, or we're like the world. The church is like the world. Christians like the world. It's like we know we're moving, but we don't necessarily know where we're going. Oh, we ultimately know we're going to end up in heaven, but apparently between now and heaven, we're just going to wander around in the wilderness for 40 years or so. Yeah, it's funny how that happens to us. And yet God wants to give us this gift. You see, if you understand that you're moving, that things are going to move no matter what, if you understand that, well, there's only a few possibilities. One is you could stop moving. Um, stop moving usually means you are dead. And there are churches that have stopped moving. They keep showing up. They keep having services and programs. But they stopped moving. Some might just be something that's kind of put it on pause for a while. You know, they move for a little while, but now they're, they're not much. Others are just kind of circling. And it's usually circling around, you know, Things go okay, then there's some problems, things fall apart, then things get set right, things are okay, then there's some problems, they just cycle. But there's more options than that, thankfully. And if we're not just circling around, we're not just stopped, well, then we're moving. And you, we can either be moving like the sailboat caught on the tides and the winds, just wherever. We could be doing that. And we could end up in some really great places. But we could also end up in some really bad places, some very dangerous places. We may end up so far out to sea that there's no way back. And we do run out of food and water. And there's no Wi-Fi. then we can move with direction. We can move with intentionality. And hopefully, if that's what we want to do and we believe that's what we should do, that that direction will be towards getting better, improving, doing more. I don't know very many people who intentionally want to get worse. Getting worse just kind of happens. Most of the time, it's, you know, if we're going to take a direction, if we're going to be intentional, we're going to be better. We're going to look at this, this Bible verse today, and it comes from the book of Hebrews. And, and here, the book of Hebrews was written to um, these Jewish Christians. And it was helping them because the Jewish Christians were unlike us. You know, most of us came to Christ. Most of us are, you know, didn't have a Jewish background, religious, cultural, any kind of background like that. 
And so when we came to Christ, it was, it was very different. You know, it was new, and we weren't necessarily letting go of some deeply held, you know, traditions and beliefs and practices that went back centuries and centuries. So it was very, very different. And plus, even if we did, not a lot of us would have thought like that, that the one true God gave us all those practices that we were doing. And so Hebrews is written in part to help these people understand that there's this, this new covenant. And the new covenant's not completely new. The new covenant was actually talked about in the Hebrew Bible, in the Old Testament, in Ezekiel. But this new covenant, Hebrews was written to say this new covenant, it's better. It's better. It's not that the old covenant was bad. Of course not. God made that covenant with the people. But he says the new covenant is better. It's one that's based on faith. It's not based on your, your works. It's based on faith. It's not based on what you do for God, but what God has done for you. And particularly what he's done for you through Jesus Christ. And then it talked to, talks, talks about that the reason the covenant is different is that in this new covenant, if you have faith in Jesus Christ, the law will no longer be outside of you. The law will now be written on your hearts. If, you know, if the Old Testament writers could have looked forward or the New Testament writers could look forward to our time, they would have said, it's, it's written in your programming, your software. It's rewritten. There are no longer things out here outside of us. It's now part of who we are. That song that we, that, that we were singing earlier about, it's your breath in our lungs. The, all of these kind of things, when it talks about being a new creation, they all are ways of, of talking about we're different. The law is no longer written on stone tablets. The law is written on our hearts. And that's way different. Because if the law is written on our hearts, it's, it's something that, that it doesn't matter where we are. It doesn't matter what situation we're in. It doesn't matter if we're in a country that has religious freedom. It doesn't matter if we're in a country that has no religious freedom. It doesn't matter if we're, if we're in, a, in a situation where, where things are going are well and comfortable or whether we're facing persecution. Because now the law is natural to who we are. It's written in our hearts. And it's superior. So if we, if we, if we know that, if we know that, then sometimes what we need to know, which the author of Hebrews you know, is trying to help them understand, is we need to know a better perspective. We need to understand what this life is all about. Because we weren't just given this new heart just so that we could go out and have a new heart. It's, there's a reason for it. It's beyond that. And we're going to read from chapter 12, but chapter 11 
is, is kind of a recitation of all of these people that the Hebrew people would have known. They would have been their heroes. These are, these are people that were religious, political, um, you know, spiritual heroes, people they would have looked up to. And, but it's really not about them. Chapter 11 is not about them. Chapter 11 is instead about faith. Because again and again and again, the author says, it is by faith these people did this. And this is connecting back to what Paul wrote, both in Romans and Galatians, when he said, it is by faith we are made righteous. He's trying to help them understand faith. The importance of faith in the new covenant. And it's not just faith in anything, it's faith in Jesus Christ. And so he comes here in chapter 12 and he kind of paints this picture. And he says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, he's talking about the people he just wrote about, these people of faith, these heroes, and he says, we're surrounded by them. He says, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. I feel like I don't always like to do sermon series because you come to a text like this, this text, these two or three verses, they deserve hours and hours and hours of our attention. They're so rich. There's so much here. But I just want to point out a couple of things that we find here. First of all, we see this part where it says, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. The race that is set before us. When we study the Bible, sometimes in the New Testament, it's trying to respect Old Testament practices. And in the Old Testament, um, you know, there was this such a reverence for God's name that they, they, would, they would not use God's name. They would try to write around it or they would use some other word to take its place. And so in the New Testament, what sometimes happens is this thing that, that we call the divine passive. And the divine passive is a way to try to say God did something without using God's name. And of course, if you're writing to a group of, of Hebrew people, many of whom are Christians, some who aren't yet, you want to show that kind of respect. And so when it says the race set before us, it's the divine passive. It's the race that God set before us. God has established the purpose. God has set the course. You see, a lot of us like to say things I'm not going to tell you I'm not in this boat sometimes myself, 
where we say very general things about God. You know, we'll say like, oh, God is in control, and, you know, God is leading my life, and, you know, God is, um, you know, the, the author of our lives, and, and, and you know, it's God's will, and, and they say that. But they tend to only think about that in the most general sense. Because as soon as they say it, they then set about to author their own lives, to set their own race. Yeah, sure, God, you've got this race set, but I'm going to go a different way. I'm going to do it differently. When Keiko was in high school, she was in a cross-country race, and um, that she was running and she was leading it and the people who were supposed to give directions didn't really know about cross country and didn't know what they were doing and they sent the leaders in the wrong direction and they were actually going to end up running more of the race so they're going off in the wrong direction well the person who organized the race realized it in the middle of the race after the leaders had already gone past this point and he decided he was going to fix it by changing the race course during the race. Think about this. It's kind of crazy. So he got in his golf cart, he starts driving, and he starts pulling up the stakes, and he starts moving them around. And I'm like, what are you doing? Are you crazy? You're changing the race course in the middle of the race. It'd be great if we all could set our own race, set our own course. Heck, we would all make it so that we'd win, I hope, right? But the point here is that God has set the race. It's not just a general sense of God's flow in my life. Oh, God wants me to, to be kind and good and love people and you know that's it so that's that's the race no we need to understand that the race is about very specific things and they are specific things for all of us to do but they're also specific things for each of us to do it's not just some general call it's not just some general direction just go in that direction I don't care how you get there. And it's this idea that, that we were prepared even before the foundations of the world that God prepared good works for us to do. Even before the foundation of the world. The second thing we need to see is that the purpose, the purpose that we're looking for for it's 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 the purpose for all of us he says the author says the race that is set before us too many times we 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 focus on you know what's god's will for for my life what is my race and i think we get this wrong and unfortunately i didn't really think about this until i was older because I was the same way I, I you know I, I you know there were if you went to any kind of youth camp or youth 
you know, meeting back when I was, or even college, when I was in high school and college, there were three topics that if you taught on these topics, your little seminar would be packed. One was on sex, how far is too far. The second one is, was on revelation, or when is Jesus coming back. And the third one was on how to know God's will for your life. And if you were a child of the 70s and 80s and you went to church, you know this, these were the seminars. And if you saw those, those are the ones you'd go to. But we were asking the wrong question when we were asking the question, God, what's your will for my life? The first question we should ask is, God, what is your purpose? What are you trying to accomplish? What is your project? What are your goals? And we don't ask that question enough. We do at this church, and I try to answer it. And when we summarize it, it is about his kingdom. It is about the advancement of his kingdom. And it is about us being prepared and equipped to help advance the kingdom. Because it's only when we really understand that, when we really understand what God's word says is God's purpose, what he's trying to accomplish, only then can we ask the question, okay, God, what's my part in that? What's my role in that? As long as we just start with ourselves, it's almost like we don't even care what God's trying to do. We just want our little job. And we want to do our little job. You should do your little job. You should do your big job. You should do whatever job God has placed before you, but you do it in the context of knowing what he's trying to accomplish. You do it in the understanding of his kingdom and the advancement of his kingdom. It's only then, only then can we ask, what is our part? Which means that if I wait, if I don't know for sure the specifics, here's what I know that I should be doing. I should be preparing myself to advance his kingdom. If you don't know if whether God wanted you to be a baker or a doctor or a lawyer or anything like that, here's one thing you do know. If you're a believer in Christ, here's one thing you do know. You do know he wants you to be a disciple. And you know disciples are students of his word. So while you're waiting, you're a disciple. You're a student of his word. You're preparing. You're preparing for the kingdom work that he has for you. You know that even if you don't know yet the specifics, you know this. You know he wants you to love your brothers and sisters. You know that he wants you to minister to one another and minister together. 
You know that. You know he wants you to be the body of Christ. So united that when one of us hurts, we all hurt. And when one of us rejoice, we all feel joy. You know that. Be that. Do that. So, our first question is, what is your purpose, God? Why did you create in the first place? I don't think we ask that question enough. And so what does God do when we're preparing? Well, God prepares us for this kingdom work. And see, somehow we miss this. Even though it's in the New Testament especially, again and again and again, we, we, we hear this again and again and again. It's said to us, you know, you're, you're, you know, we look at the verse that says you were bought with a price. And we think like, oh yeah, 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 that's so great. Jesus Christ paid the price for me. But do you know why you were bought with a price? Do you know what the picture is? The picture is you're a slave. You're a slave to sin. You're a slave to your flesh. You're a slave, slave to the way that the world operates, living for yourself and your personal happiness and just the whole consumption and this obsession with staying alive and not dying and, and all of this. That, that's the, you're a slave to that. You can never be any more unless somehow you can fit humility and servanthood into being a slave to yourself. And when it says you were bought with a price, it meant you were bought from that slavery and you were brought into the household of God. You weren't bought from the slavery and then said, okay, go do whatever you want to do. Live however you want to live. Because right after that it says, you are a bond servant of the Lord. You were bought with a price for a purpose. And it's to serve. It's to do our kingdom work. We see other things in the Bible. Salt of the earth. Light of the world. Ambassadors for Christ. We're called to, to equip the saints, to build each other up. The New Testament again and again and again tells us that we're not given things just to sit on them, that we're being prepared to serve and to minister and to help, and we should do it. We should do it. But somehow we miss it. I don't know. I, I, I'm with you. I'm going to tell you. I read the Bible for decades before I really saw this. But I see it now. And I get more and more embarrassed all the time because I see it more and more and more and I go, how did I miss this? This isn't like Where's Waldo, where Waldo's really hard to find. Most of you don't know Where's Waldo, right? Okay. It's, it's not like that. It's not the needle in the haystack. In fact, it's more like, can you find the hay in the haystack? Because it's on every single page. Every book. Again and again and again, it says, you're being prepared for kingdom work. 
do kingdom work. Serve one another. Love one another. Build each other up. Teach one another. Equip one another. Again and again and again. Those weren't just words for, you know, for the pastors or the leaders or the super-Christians. It's for everybody. You see, that's the thing, is that God, as we said last week, God gives us grace so that we might show grace to others. I'm not going to talk about that again. Go listen to last week's sermon if you want to. God gives us grace so that we might show grace to others. God blesses us so that we might show blessings to others. When, you know, we've, we talked about this a little bit on, on our Thanksgiving Eve service and brought it up a couple times. But let me just say, if you feel you're receiving God's grace, if you feel you're receiving God's blessing or any blessing, the first question we have to ask if we are children of God, the first question we ask is, God, why are you blessing me? We already know it's not because I deserve it. Why are you blessing me? Why are you giving me grace? I'm not quite to the age where I wake up every morning and think like, ooh, didn't know if I'd make it through the night. But if I ever get to that age in the morning, I'm going to say, God, one more day. Why'd you give me this day? We go into 2020, one more year. Why'd you give us this year? Why are we being blessed? Why are we given grace? You see, here's the problem. When we stop asking that question, when we stop asking the question, we actually begin to presume that somehow we deserve it. We deserve it. We deserve these blessings. I worked for this. I deserve it. And once you start thinking you deserve it, you're, you're kind of setting yourself on this path of everything is focused towards you and yourself. And you may bless others. But it's your choice. I'm going to choose to take these blessings that I deserve from God and maybe I will bless others with some of it. Or maybe all of it. But it's my choice. It's totally different when we we begin the whole thing by saying, God, why did you bless me? Why did you give me grace? Because now, we're not saying, I'm going to decide. We're saying, God, you had a purpose. You had a purpose. You had a plan. I'm kind of thick here. I don't get it. I don't know why. Can you show me why? Can you tell me how? Because I'm going to do it. I just don't know how. You know, and I talk a lot about, you know, serving and, and you know, God blesses us so that we can bless others to being other-centered rather than self-centered. But I want you to understand something. 
You know, we look at this verse, this race that's set before us. And then it says in verse 2, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Looking to Jesus. And it talks about his, his crucifixion and the price that he pays there. And then it says he's also seated at the right hand of the throne of God. looking to Jesus. I want you to understand that when we run the race that's set before us, when we run the race that God has established for us, when we look up, we look, we see Jesus. What does that tell me? That tells me that no matter how hard the race is, no matter how much I'm hurting, no matter, no matter you know, whether I want to give up at this moment, if I keep my eyes set on Jesus, that I can run through that with joy. That there is no better way to live than to run the race that is set before us. Oh, there are ways to live where you have more stuff, where you have more fun, where you maybe have your happiness cup filled every day. Sure. Not going to say there's not. But there is no better way to truly live than to fulfill God's purpose, than to run the race that's set before us. You see, when we think about the race and we think about those words he's using there, the endurance, what we should get in our heads is that this is not easy. It's going to be hard. One of the things I always tell my runners before a race, I say, you're about to go do something really hard. It's going to hurt. There's no way to do this and race and not hurt. And if you're not willing to hurt, you really shouldn't go out on the, into the race. You really shouldn't. The promise of it being the best way to live, the promise of it being a joyful way to live is not because it won't hurt. In fact, it will hurt more. It hurts more to see the world the way Jesus sees the world than to see the world the way the world sees the world. See, the world just wants to kind of gloss over sins. They don't even want to call them sins anymore. They just want to say it's differences. We all have differences. And it's okay. We all have different perspectives, different opinions. Let's just all learn to get along. But when we see the world with the eyes of Jesus, our heart breaks because people have swallowed a lie and they've become addicted to their self-interest, addicted to their personal happiness. And they can't break free. And it hurts. 
but you just need to get it. It's going to be hard. And we're going to make mistakes. We're going to do things wrong. We're going to fall down. He says, lay aside the weights. What does that mean? It means sometimes we're carrying stuff we don't need to be carrying. And sometimes you think like, well, why we got to do this? Why you got to have this race for us? Why couldn't you just let us all be at the finisher's tent, we get our finisher's t-shirts, and we can all have a group photo? Why not? Well, when you think about how God could have done things and how he could have just programmed us all to be perfect, well, that's one option. But if we're going to have free will, if we're going to have the opportunity to do what is right and do what is wrong, it's going to be a race. It's going to be hard. And we're going to make mistakes. So what is the race set before us? Oh, I wish I knew in great detail I could tell you everything that God wants to do at Wildlife Baptist Church in the next year. I don't. But I know this. I know that where I believe that we, we should go, it's where I'm going to lead, and I hope you follow. And we're going to go deeper and deeper into God's Word. We're going to understand more and more His truth. But that doesn't, doesn't stop there. Everybody says that. Everybody says, you know, every pastor will say that. Let's study God's Word more. No. Here's the second part. I want God's Word to be deeper and deeper in us. Not just us studying more and understanding more, but to have His Word in our lives in a deeper and more profound way. Because I believe that when that happens, I believe His Spirit will meet that word and God's going to do incredible things. Incredible things. Great things. And it's because we're being, we're being faithful. We're being faithful to being the community of disciples. If you want 2020 to be a great year, not for you personally, but a great year for God's kingdom purposes, we have to decide right now that all the things we were doing from 2019 before, all those things that were feeding us and helping us grow and strengthening us, making us more like Jesus, we're going to do them. We're going to keep doing them. And all those things that were pulling us away, pulling us down, they're gone. We're going to lay aside those weights. And we're going to focus more and more on the race set before us. And the only way I know to do that is to be more and more in His Word. And letting God's Word and God's Spirit transform us. What can you do even now? Well, you can start praying. Pray for our church. Pray for each other. You can also join us. There's so many opportunities for you to grow. You know, one thing that we're going to start 
beginning of next year and it's going to be a start and and i told the group that's going to start this is they're going to be guinea pigs because we're going to develop this as we go but we're going to really look at how to study the bible study it better study it for all it's worth you can join us maybe you can't come the time that that we're going to be meeting let me know we'll find another time Maybe you already are an expert in studying God's Word. Come talk to me. I'd love to have you help. Another thing some of you can do is you can join us. Some of you are already members, but you've never joined. You just kind of hang out. If you're a member and you haven't really joined, join us. Join us. Join us in fellowship and study and worship, evangelism, ministry. And if you're someone who's been coming here for a while, and maybe that your next step is just to say, hey, I want to say I'm a part of this body of Christ. And you want to become a member. Talk to me. For some of you, 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 you never really had a profession of faith and, and even begun the way that this says about believing Jesus Christ and having our lives transformed. Have you never been baptized? Come talk to me. All I know is what God has set before us. You guys are going to get the, the monthly newsletter and, and I'm not lying when I say I am so looking forward to 2020. I've never been more excited at this church than I am now. But I've also never been more scared. Because whenever I think God is on the cusp and the people are ready and there's going to be a breakthrough, I also know the attacks are going to increase those little personal grievances, those, those things that, unforgiven things, the bitterness, the division, Satan can use it all. I ask that you would pray. Don't just pray for yourself. Pray for me. Pray for everyone. That God would protect us as he sets us out on a great adventure. The race is set before us.